This Mass is my only Sunday Mass, and as we said at the beginning, attendance is a little bit down, I'm assuming, due to the weather and the canceling of PSR. Now, this is one of the things that goes through my brain every time something like this happens. I said, either God is protecting people from a really bad homily, and so he's trying to reduce the damage, or you are the only ones who really needed to hear this today. So maybe there's something special in this homily for you. My sister lived in Saranac Lake, New York, for a little spell. She lived across the street from Saranac Lake. And one summer, I went up to spend some time with her when I was a little kid. And if you went out of her house and down the driveway, crossed the street, there was the lake. And I might, an afternoon might find me playing in the shallows of the water near a boathouse. One of those days, I spied something on the bottom of the water, in the ground. And I ran to my sister to tell her that I had found a dragon's eye in the bottom of the lake. She was less enthusiastic than I had hoped, but I was so sincere that curiosity took hold, and she came back across the street with me to behold the dragon's eye in the bottom of the water. Sure enough, There it was, and about six inches below the surface, among all the little stones that made up the shore, what was looked like a steel eye with a black iris staring up at us unblinkingly. What on earth do you suppose that is, my sister asked. And of course, I knew what it was. It was a dragon's eye. Why won't you listen to me? She suggested that we dig it out to have a better look. This didn't seem like a good idea to me because if it was a dragon's eye, it was not going to be happy about us picking around it. But just the same, we went at it. It was apparent that whatever it was was not going to come up without a fight. It was much bigger than we originally thought, so we kept digging around it, and we dug around it and dug around it, and all of a sudden, it came flying up out of the water at us. We jumped backwards, legs and arms spinning in the air, falling down on the grass, screaming, and then laughing when we realized it was an old-fashioned light bulb that someone had dug into the water, probably so that this would happen. I imagined them across the street, rolling on the ground, laughing in the living room, having watched us dig up this dragon's eye. What made this adventure so wonderful was a belief that there could be dragons, that life is enchanted, that wonderful things exist and can happen, and do happen, and will happen. Could there be a dragon next to the boathouse across the street from my sister's house? What a sad world it would be if wonderful, miraculous things could not happen. As it turned out in this case, there was not a dragon that lived in New York under Saranac Lake. But wonderful, fascinating, miraculous, adventurous, amazing things do happen in this world. But sometimes the terrible thing about them is we get used to them. The new Star Wars movie is out. 
I was going to refuse to see it because I've been so disenchanted with much of the franchise lately, but people keep telling me it's wonderful, so maybe as long as it stays at the Highland Theater, I'll go out and see it. But part of what made the first movie, the very first one they did back in the 70s, what made it so wonderful was the epic battle between good and evil. Who's going to win? And a savior was born on a lonely planet that was foretold by prophecy and that this savior was going to save the entire universe. Now, if you take all the details out of that story, starships and lightsabers and all that kind of stuff, you can discover that the story is remarkably true. It's a knockoff of the Christ story. In the first reading today, arguably written about 8,000 years ago, we were promised a Savior, born of a virgin. This is the only founder of a religion or of a state or of anything. A Savior of the universe that was actually foretold by prophets. We're so used to these stories from fantasy stories that they seem quite common. But it isn't. There is only one. And this unique, true story is yours. It's not about somebody else or some fictional character, maybe like Harry Potter. It's about you. It is a fantastical story. God is going to come live among us. Not like the Greek God stories where a God might be punished, so he's sent to live amongst us on earth. But he comes out of love. Not to see if you're naughty or nice but to save you from your sins. And the most beautiful part is that he doesn't do it as a distant God, but as part of your family. You have been adopted by a formal ceremony into the family of your heavenly father, not by paperwork or government approval, but through new birth of baptism. I've been watching a a new series on Netflix called The Crown. It's about Queen Elizabeth II, and so far it seems quite well done. Though one would think I would have learned my lesson by now not to recommend anything until I've seen it in its entirety because I've been embarrassed in the past. But so far, so good. But there's a twinge of sadness about the whole story. Here is a fairy tale story. It actually has taken place in our world, in approximately our time, but a part of which we will never be. The royal family is the royal family, and my family is not. I've given up a long time ago the daydream that somewhere in the Alps of Slovenia, my family became enmeshed in some royal family. But that is, is no. Not so with the holy family. Just like British royalty might look back on their family line and see King Richard the Lionhearted or Richard III or Queen Elizabeth I, your family line contains the Blessed Virgin Mary, Joseph, her most chaste spouse, not to mention all of the saints. This church, the stone and the glass, is a photo album, a family photo album of sorts. I always understood this intellectually, but it never really hit me until the day I was laying prostrate on the ground in the sanctuary of our cathedral, being ordained a priest, and I heard the litany of saints sung, and it hit me that day. I can't even tell you how, but inside, I finally got it. This is my family. 
And not only them, Christ is, is in your family background. That's why it's so sad to see so many people who want to celebrate Christmas, but they want to gut what it really means, take everything that gives it meaning out of it. They bury the meaning of the day, like that light bulb in the water, so that only the barest, maybe most confusing part of it is staring back at you. It becomes an exhausting, glittery, manic holiday that collapses on Christmas Day under its own weight once the gifts are open and there's nothing left to do but go back to the refrigerator and see if there are any leftovers. But find that part that stubbornly looks back at you like that dragon eye in the water. Dig around it. Uncover it. Find, find time to think, to pray. We have our lessons and carols tonight. We have uh, uh, adoration on Tuesday. Find time to be charitable, both in your speech and in your actions. Find time to love, to realize how special it is that you have been chosen to think on the miraculousness of this crazy story that, unlike many other crazy stories, not only happens to be true, but is also part of your story. Let it come rushing out at you like that light bulb released from the sandy bottom of the lake. Make, mid, make mass the highlight. Forget about keeping Christ in Christmas or beyond that. Christ is Christmas. Keep mass in Christmas. That's what the day means. Christ's mass day. It's kind of like candle mass day. The mass at which we bless candles. Or Michael mass day. The mass at which we celebrate St. Michael. Christmas day is the day we celebrate Christ at mass. Wish your Protestant friends Merry Christmas. Even if they don't understand what it means. Even if everyone around you is moaning. Let them. Don't let them take your story and this moment away from you. As C.S. Lewis says, you are royalty in the kingdom of God. Claim it, live it, celebrate it, rejoice and be glad because you're celebrating your story.